the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's 4 o'clock, it's Tuesday, you're listening to AM630 The Word, and I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, and they just introduced me, so this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585, that's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, uh, you can use the, the safest way to do so is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of your screen. Everything else is hands free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, let me get right to, to some questions while we await your phone calls. Remember, you're more interesting than I am. So we'd love your calls. Uh, our first question is from Anonymous. Uh, came in on our email line, said, when correcting another believer, if the believer doesn't make the correction or continues to do something that might not be outright sin, but is just not loving to others, other than praying for this person, is there anything else we can do? I know that sounded a little wordy. I hope you understand. I think I do. One of the most frustrating things, Anonymous, is when there are people that you care about, believers. It is our responsibility, by the way, to correct believers if you know somebody who professes Christ and that professing Christian is not living Christ, then it's our obligation. It's not something that we can choose to do or choose not to do. As a believer, the Bible commands us to go to that believer and correct them. Now, if they don't take the correction and they continue doing the, the things that they're doing, uh, especially in this area of just not loving others, uh, then there's nothing we can do but pray for them. And this is going to sound harsh to a lot of people, but it really isn't. We need to separate from them. We just need to tell somebody, look, I'm a believer. The Bible says that if, I, if I've corrected you and you refuse the correction, then I'm not to have anything to do with you if you're going to continue to 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 live this way. Now, there's another element to this, Anonymous, that I think is important. Uh, we've got to distance ourselves from people like that to protect our own walk with the Lord as well. You know, if somebody's uh, not loving, if somebody is, is living in sin, um, uh, you, you've done the best you can, even if they've uh, responded um, uh, harshly to you, uh, you know, just just you've got to say goodbye. And I know that sounds harsh because we think, well, no, they're friends and we have to love them. But that's loving them. That's what loving them is. That's what the Apostle Paul commanded when he wrote to the church at Corinth when it was discovered that there was a man in the church having an affair uh, with his mother-in-law. And and everybody in the church seemingly knew about it. So Paul said, I, I've already handed this man over to Satan uh, for the destruction of his flesh. 
and he tells them to to um, to, to distance themselves from him, put him out, let him deal with his own sin. And of course, we know it worked because in Second Corinthians chapter two, the the uh, the letter was written only about six months after the first letter. Uh, we know that the man had repented, and Paul said, "Now receive him back. He's he's suffered enough. He's repented. Receive him back into the fellowship." Whenever we're separating ourselves or distancing ourselves from professing believers who aren't living like it, that is the most loving thing we can do. And that's why it's so important that we trust what the Word of God says instead of trusting our emotions. You know, we live in a culture which makes church discipline very difficult. You know, if somebody... Uh, is in sin here, and we deal with that sin. I'm just talking personally at our church. We deal with that sin. You know, that that person's just going to find another church. There's churches on every street corner, and they're, oh, we don't judge people. We accept people the way they are. But, But we're really doing a lot of harm. So what you do is you pray for them, and and pray continually, because the, the spiritual warfare in cases like this is enormous. So pray for them, but also distance yourself from them, and let them know why you're doing it. Tell him, if you want to get right with God, then I'm going to be here for you. But until that time, I'm simply not going to be able to hang around you uh, because of the way that you're living. So I hope that makes sense to you. A very important question. That's how we can really and truly love other people. Let's go to Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. I want to ask this question. Okay, the 12 tribes of Israel are the, the sons of Jacob, right? Yes. Okay, I have this friend of mine telling me that, and I know it's not true, but I'm trying, like, he's telling me, I don't know how to tell him, he's telling me though, that he found out that Escar is related, is, is, we're uh, part of the, uh, what do you call it, we're the Mexicans, we're, we're, we're <laughs> like, I, this is a fine excuse. Yeah, each name of the person, like Benjamin, somebody there, you know, they're related to another race. And I said, no, where'd you, and I said, where'd you learn this from? I looked it up. I said, you can't be trusting what's on the web and the uh, YouTube <laughs> and all that. Yeah, but, Jimmy, uh, that, you've done what you can do when when people listen to, to um, um, clear direction. There's nothing we can do. You're, the, 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 the 12 tribes are are given to us, described to us um, in the Bible. Uh, we know who they are, um, and yet there, there are some who will say, well, we're Sephardic Jews, and we come, we've, we trace our ancestry back to the, the 12 lost tribes or, or the 10 lost tribes of Israel, and, and I've done a research, and, that's where, and, and, and it's just because that's what they want. And in this particular case, that they have different names and they come from different races of people, uh, that's just nonsense. So um, uh, pray for them. That's all you can do. You know, we can we can correct people and we can give them direction. Uh, I would much rather tell somebody, read the Bible instead of reading the Internet, but they're not going to do that. And Jimmy, this is what's causing every every kind of foolishness from flat earthers, Christians. We've got Christians who listen to this program who have been been seduced into the, the flat earth um, theory and, and con, uh, controversies and um, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. That's all we can tell them. Okay? It's just really frustrating for me. It's just really yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Refuse to, argue, refuse to argue, Jimmy. You'll protect your walk with the Lord. And um, and um, your 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 firm stand will be a witness to them as well. Yeah, just just you just can't argue. I know. Thank you. Thank you, friend. All right, you too. Uh-huh. God bless. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is an email question from Chip. Uh, Chip, I love your questions. By the way, you you send them in uh, regularly, and I appreciate it. Uh, he says, I asked a pastor in the San Antonio area this question. What's the hardest part of pastoral ministry? He replied, fulfilling people's expectations. Do you agree? I found his answer odd. Shouldn't he be more like keeping the course God has set for you? Um, Jimmy, this is a pastor, and I, 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 I want to be sympathetic. 
Um, but 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 pastors, um, some of the things that we encounter with people are really difficult. Um, there are people that want to tear down. There are people that want to pick and choose. There are people that have uh, positions, and they're not going to change no matter what. And there are people that are disappointed in you. Uh, just uh, two Sundays ago, I... Um, at a message it was I thought very clear I went out of my way to make sure that the um, um, discrepancies or, or the, the difficulties in understanding uh, were, were answered uh, and and I got just one of the ugliest emails I've had in many many years and you just think you know you can't minister to everybody uh, when their mind is made up and so there are pastors who feel like they, they'll never measure up to the, the expectations of the people. Now, here's the problem. It's their sin, and they open the door. Uh, we're not supposed to be measuring up to people's expectations. The only expectation that we should be concerned about is the Lord's. You know, when I go up to the pulpit, uh, Chip, on Sundays, and, and the same two things through Fridays and Wednesdays, um, uh, and when I start this radio program, I want to be sure that I'm speaking for the Lord, that he's speaking through me. And the only way I can do that is to get rid of me and and uh, and please him. I said, Lord, I don't want people to see me. I want them to see and to hear you. And then if I do my best in that area and the Spirit of God is is filling me, um, then I can't worry about what people think. Um, you know, we live in a time where certain positions that, that pastors take, uh, those who are faithful to the Bible, are going to be called out publicly and harshly. And, you know, you've got to get to the point where, okay, Jesus, you're pleased, nothing else matters. So um, that, that's sort of a cynical response to a pastor whose heart has been broken. Um, people are sometimes unrelenting in their criticism. Uh, if you're doing what they want or you're teaching what they want, they love you and they tell you they love you. Then the minute you say something that disagrees with the position that they hold, well, you can see that love really didn't matter at all. So, so I understand his heart, but this pastor is in a difficult place uh, because the, the enemy is going to pound him. Um, uh, you know, we got to love the people. And we've got to, we've got, it's our job to represent Jesus to the people. And Jesus never gets frustrated with people. He never gets angry at people. Jesus was never looking out for his own interests. And this is a pastor who's um, on the precipice of, of, you know, poor, poor me. And pretty soon his heart is going to be revealed. And his heart is that he's not really doing it for Jesus. He was doing it for himself. And when people uh, disappointed him, or caused him pain. Um, a lot of these pastors like this chip end up um, leaving the ministry. So um, uh, I, I feel for him, but at the same time, uh, I, I've, I counsel with a lot of pastors. And uh, the one thing I tell them, you got to lose you. You can't be a part of it. How you feel, what people are saying. Uh, the only one that matters is are you being faithful to the Word of God, and to the mission that Jesus has given you. And if, in fact, that's true, then other people's expectations don't matter at all. And that's hard, because we all want to be liked. Now, let me ask, or answer your question. Um, you asked if I agreed with him. The answer is no. But the hardest part of pastoral ministry, uh, I, I don't think there is a hard part. I really don't. I love what I do. I've been doing it now for 26 years. I love it. I, I can't imagine doing anything else at this point in my life. I'm 70 years old, but 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 I still can't imagine doing anything else. And uh, I just there isn't a hard part. There are painful parts. There's heartbreaking parts. The 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 pain, the tragedies that we deal with in other people's lives. You know, when you pray for people, and every pastor ought to be praying for his people. I don't mean just to bless them, Lord, prayer, but I mean praying for their people. I have lists and lists and lists of people that I pray for, and a, a big prayer wall that that is finally getting transferred from my old house to my new house. So I, I have pictures of people up there. I never want to forget that Jesus brought me there for the people. And when you stop loving the people, then you're misrepresenting Christ. And when you pray for people, 
um, it's, it's like the Lord has a direct deposit to your heart. And even people that are irritating, and there are a lot of irritating people, even people that are irritating, once you begin praying for them in earnest, God deposits them in your heart in such a place that you have a, there, there's just a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain. Let me say one other thing that is hard about what we do. It's it's really hard watching people who once thrived in their service to the Lord, whose hearts were once filled with the love of Christ and the love of God's people. It's hard watching them fall away. And we, anybody who's a pastor, you got a church of more than two people. Uh, you're you're continually seeing people drifting away from the Lord and falling into sin uh, or their hearts becoming harder and harder. Uh, we saw this a lot, uh, Chip, um, uh, in this past year through the election season. Um, just it, It's really hard watching people make really horrible decisions. And again, that just goes under the category of heartbreak. So Chip, I hope that helps you. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Wade. And he says, what's the difference between being filled with the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit? Wade, I think the difference is only semantics. I don't think there is any difference. I think uh, whenever anybody says I'm filled with the Spirit or I'm baptized in the Spirit, I think basically they mean the same thing. And it's just the power of God coming upon you to be obedient. Now, we have some different ideas about being baptized in the Spirit um, than that are inconsistent with the Word of God. To be filled with the Spirit and baptized with the Spirit is always triggered by obedience. Acts 5.32, God gives the Spirit to those who obey Him, and that context there is in power. Now, we get the Spirit when we're saved. We've obeyed and come to faith in Christ. But as we live out our daily lives, you know, we, we, we're filled with the Spirit when we obey Him. That's the Spirit's power pushing us. And, and this is something that we need to do every single day. It's not like, well, I got baptized in the Spirit, I spoke in tongues, you know, or, or boy, God was using me before. It's not a, a, a once-forever situation. Every day when we get up, we've got to seek the Lord's presence because we don't have the power to go through the day. You know, when I get up, and, and I've shared this with you before um, in this audience, um, uh, I'll go outside. The first thing I'll do is look at the eastern sky. That's where the sun is. Typically, we haven't had much sun this summer, but I'll typically look at the eastern sky and I'll say to the Lord, say, Jesus, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you. Not by might nor by power, because I don't have any power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then I offer my hand and I let Jesus take it. And then I offer my left hand and I say, Paul and I are one flesh. We will not stop until you bless us. And so uh, we need to realize that the only power we have is his power. And that's the power of God that we need daily, Wade. Daily, daily, daily. Never forget. Many, many times a day. Every time somebody asks you a question. Every time somebody's available to be ministered to. Ask God for his power, because we don't have any. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Brian on line one from San Antonio. Brian, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, hi, Pastor Ron. Um, so I have a question in regards to you know, myself, and um, I accepted the Lord when I was in my teens, and I'm much older now. Um, I find myself repeating certain sin patterns in my mm-hmm. life um, where I, I follow, you know, I decide to do these sins and it becomes a pattern until I, I have genuine repentance, but unfortunately, you know, the damage is already done with, um, you know, uh, those decisions and the consequences. And, um, you know, a couple years will pass and I find myself repeating the same in patterns, and um, I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm at a point where, you know, I really truly believe that God is telling me that I cannot continue to 
to, to repeat those sin patterns. He's really Good made for that you. clear to me. But my conscience is bothering me because of a lot of the past mm-hmm. uh, these sins that I've committed. Yeah. Uh, Brian, um, I, I, I hope I'm going to be really encouraging to you here. This is important. The fact that you were able to discern the voice of God saying, okay, I, I'm done. I, I, I use a term, and it's a silly term. Um, um, I, I tell people you can't play patty cake with your sin. And and if you are honest as you reevaluate um, the patterns of sin that you fall into, you're going to find out that there's a pattern of behavior in your life that occurs prior to the sin. And that pattern is falling away from the word, um, 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 forgetting that Jesus is there with you. There's no conversation. Um, your, your prayer life is, is deficient. Um, what, what Jesus called that in, in the letter to the Laodiceans is, is lukewarm Christianity. And, and what happens when we get lukewarm is we revert to, to our fleshly instinct, our carnal instinct. And we just start depending on our own strength or lack of strength instead of depending on the Lord. And when God is telling you now that, that, okay, it's time to end this pattern, what he's saying to you, Brian, and I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible, he's saying to you to grow up in your faith, to stop being immature. And the only way you can do that is to realize that you are powerless against your sin. What did the Apostle Paul said? He said, um, uh, I find this law at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And that's why we're to take thoughts captive, because when you find yourself drifting away from Jesus a little bit in, in, in terms of relationship, you know, you're not getting up in the morning and opening your Bible. You're not getting up and seeking God's will for your life. You're not getting up, as I mentioned to the last question, you're not getting up in the morning and saying, okay, Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. None of me, all of you. Um, um, what's going to happen is you're going to fall into these patterns of behavior uh, with the help of an enemy who wants to destroy you, you're going to fall into those patterns of behavior and you're going to find yourself drifting farther and farther and farther from the Lord. And the devil is really patient, Brian. Um, uh, he, he's not going to do it all at once. He's going to permit you to drift. It's interesting to me that the very first warning in, of seven in the book of Hebrews is a warning against drifting away. A picture I always imagine is I used to surf a lot and I'd get in the, in the water, you go out to the beach um, in front of the lifeguard station and then you just drift and drift. You're not even aware that you're drifting. Finally, you'd say, okay, where am I? And you're miles away from where you started. Well, you didn't even know you were drifting. Well, that's what Satan wants to do. So here's what he wants you to do, Brian, to change this forever. He wants you to do what he died to enable you to do And that is to draw near to Jesus every day. He said in his word, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He also said, I will in no wise cast out any who come to him or come to me. So you've got to get a new pattern in your life. And that pattern has to be every day seeking the presence of the Lord. Every day. You know, if there is a day where you're not thinking about Jesus, you've got to realize that you're in danger. And these patterns are going to continue because behavior, those patterns of sin are continuing. So you've got to break the pattern and you've got to discipline yourself. Now, remember, discipline is necessary in this Christian walk. And so it can't be about goosebumps. It can't be about feelings or emotions or circumstances. Brian, what you've got to do is discipline yourself daily to do the things you know you need to do to be healthy. If you were or are an athlete, you know, you can't go out and run a marathon without training. You have to train regularly, consistently, in order to build up your strength. Walking by faith is exactly the same way. And the best way to deal with this is just to be so honest before the Lord and say, okay, God, you're now telling me I need to deal with this once and for all. What I really need to deal with is that every time I'm away from you, I'm going to sin again and again and again and again. So that's really important. One final thing here, Brian, and this is really important. The enemy is not going to take his finger off the button. 
In other words, he's going to keep reminding you of your past failures. He's going to keep reminding you of these patterns of sin that you fall into. And he's going to do his best to condemn you. As you seek God, he's going to do everything he can to destroy that relationship by making you feel condemned. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you've got to be prepared for the spiritual fight. And every time you're feeling condemned, you've got to recognize that that's not God. That's the enemy of your soul. And the result for you is just saying, okay, I reject that. I take that thought captive and I'm going to obey what the word says. Uh, It's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And Brian, like Paul, the Apostle Paul, you're going to have this battle every day for the rest of your life. When you are sowing to the Spirit, you're going to reap the benefits of the Spirit. When you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap the horrible consequences of your flesh. So now's the time to say, Jesus, no more. I'm done playing with you. I'm going to get serious. And God bless you, Brian. God bless you for finally getting to that point where you recognize that God is saying, okay, it's time to grow up. This is what maturity as a believer is all about. Thank you so much, Brian, for that. And I hope and pray you're encouraged. I'll be praying for you. Hey, you've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We love your calls. Here is an anonymous question. He or she says, I'm afraid that if I pray out loud, Satan will hear my prayers and use them against me. Is it safe to pray out loud? Of course it's safe to pray out loud. When you're praying, you're talking to Jesus. You don't think Satan wants to be where Jesus is, do you? Of course you're safe to pray out loud. The other thing that we have to not worry about is, you know, I think we we give Satan way too much credit. Um, um, He's no match for the Lord. Um, You know, it's not like they're equal opposites. Um, And when you're praying, you're, you're in the presence of the Lord. So you go ahead and pray. And don't worry at all about what Satan might hear. Uh, I am acutely aware of sometimes how Satan wants to twist prayers and 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 use them against us. I there are a lot of times when Satan will interrupt my uh, prayer time and and you know it's uh, God hasn't answered your prayers. Why are you praying? Kind of thing. Oh, God answers all of our prayers. And all you have to do is know the difference between the voice of the Lord, the loving convicting and encouraging and edifying voice of the Lord and the ugly, the loud and the condemning voice of the devil. Just don't worry about it. Just don't worry about the devil. Uh, don't talk to him. I, I spend zero time talking to the devil. I just, I, I like to be so close to the Lord, anonymous, that when the devil starts shouting at me, I can just say, Jesus, you handle that. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. So please don't worry about it. God's got you. You're doing the one thing by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God, that Satan has no power over at all. Here's a question from Rebecca. She says, you mentioned in a study that Christians should be the most generous people. What if you don't have much to give? Rebecca, there's all kinds of ways to be generous. Uh, Let me just give you an example. Uh, We have a, a, a... a lot of ministries here uh, where people, uh, we don't charge for them. And, and, and the people that staff those ministries, for example, our school staff, um, we have a whole bunch of people that uh, don't get paid. I mean, full-time people who've been doing this for years who don't get paid. They're kings of generosity and queens of generosity. So, 
You're right. We should be the most generous people of all. If you don't have much to give in terms of money, give what the Lord's put in your heart to give, and then let him bless your faithfulness. It's just that simple. Let me give you another example, Rebecca, to this morning when I uh, came to church, came to the office. Uh, I looked outside, and there was a man who, uh, in response, we've been talking about service a lot in our spiritual gifts studies in the last three weeks. Uh, in response to one of the studies, the conviction of the Spirit, he was outside power washing the front of our church. Now, here's a guy who works hard to make a living. He doesn't have a lot to give, but he was able to give his time today. Nobody asked him to do it. He just did it. On Sunday, actually Saturday, um, this past weekend, I came into the office. We're getting ready for corporate prayer and for uh, pastor's discipleship class. And uh, I came in, there was an envelope on my desk, and I opened it. And there was a card in there. It said uh, it was to Pastor Ron. Said everything that we have belongs to everything my wife and I have belongs to God. And it's my wife's birthday, and she asked me, "Would could we take the money that we would normally spend on my birthday, and and for a gift and for dinner and whatever else else that we do, and can we give that money maybe to single moms in the church?" And and there was a whole bunch of of fifty dollar. H-E-B gift cards in that envelope. That's a person who's being very generous. If you're generous with your time, well, that speaks well of your closeness to Jesus. So uh, there's all kinds of ways. Uh, Be generous in your prayer time. Be generous in your service at church. So, Rebecca, there's all kinds of ways to be generous. Uh, Proverbs 11.25 says, that uh, a prosperous man or woman will themselves be blessed by God. So just strive to be generous. We ought to be generous rather than, um, um, you know, a little stingy, maybe a little tight-fisted. Jesus made an example of the widow's might with his disciples watching. There's all kinds of people uh, in line at the treasury in the temple. And they were giving what the law required that they give. Some of them, because they were very wealthy, were giving large amounts, but but others who weren't wealthy were giving the, the same 10% that the, that the law required. And um, Jesus didn't point any of the wealthy people out. He pointed the widow out. She gave two mites, less than a penny in, in our currency. And... Um, He said to his disciples, she gave everything she had. She gave more than all the others combined because she gave everything that she had. She walked away from that temple treasury with only God to depend on. So you can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your love. You can be generous with your service. uh, But but you, you should also be generous with your money. Realize that even though you don't have much to give, that's what God has given you, and it belongs to Him. And so your response should be, Okay, Lord, this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? And He'll give you that direction. He'll speak so clearly to your heart through the Word or in your times of prayer. And, and you know, you don't have to feel guilty. Give, not because you're under compulsion to give, but give with a cheerful heart because you're so grateful for what God has already given you. Good question, Rebecca. It shows um, your generous heart. So now let your generous heart be what other people see as well. Great question. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, in whose name should we be baptized? Uh, Jesus's or the Father's, the Son or the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, I think probably anonymous, you're involved with in some way or being confused by uh, a oneness church when it says, no, you can only be baptized in Jesus' name. Um, um, what, what I always tell people is, uh, I baptize the way Jesus told me to. He said, when we make disciples, we should baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus said that's the way we should do it, 
that I'm happy to do it that way. And, and please, if you're involved in a oneness group or a Jesus-only church, you're involved in a cult, um, the, the doctrine that they espouse is heretical, uh, and it's best you get away. You know, it's amazing to me, with the perfect unity between Father, Son, and Spirit, no competition, no crosswords, no division, we divide over this. Who's getting the most attention? So it doesn't matter. Baptize the way Jesus said to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And again, to everybody out there, stay clear of oneness churches or Jesus-only churches, whatever they call themselves. Just be careful. It's not a healthy spiritual environment. Miles asks a question, Pastor Ron, I know why Elijah was on the Mount of Transfiguration, but how can I explain Moses being there? Miles, that's a great question. Um, Moses was there. Uh, Remember, it was God who buried the body of Moses. Elijah was taken up to heaven in the chariot of fire. But it was God who took care. But personally, you know, I've officiated a lot of funerals. This is the only funeral in history that God was the efficient of and the only guest. Um, Elijah, uh, the prince of the prophets, uh, he was the Jewish representative of all of the prophets. Moses was the law. The law and the prophets, Jesus said repeatedly, testify about him. So this was the law in the person of Moses and the prophets in the person of Elijah who were testifying of Jesus. Now, we know they had a very specific plan. And that plan was to tell Jesus all the things that were going to happen to him in Jerusalem in the last week of his life. So so they, they were given the mission by the Father and they came in trends. Uh, uh, they, they, they were faithful in the ministering of that, that mission. One other thing, Miles, um, in the book of Revelation, we know we've got the two witnesses at the Western Wall. Um, that is also Elijah. We know that for sure. Uh, Jesus himself said Elijah must come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, before the, the very end, uh, Revelation chapter 19. Uh, but Moses is the other one, again, because it's the law. Remember, the, the great tribulation is is God dealing with Jews, his obstinate, stubborn people, and it's the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, again testifying or witnessing of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the question. Let's go to our friend Ron from Converse on Line 1. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? Ron, I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good, good. I... um Heard some of the last, I was out of the room, and then I came back and taking care of business, but I heard that the, you were talking about the baptism uh, that should be done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, in relation mm-hmm. to the Catholicism, the Catholic, the, I haven't been to a Catholic baptism in, in years, and me and my daughter broke away from the Catholic religion some time back now. We're just, we're, we're Post-COVID, we're trying to find a home, a church. I think we probably have. We're in the Word of, of, of Jesus Christ and, and, and King James as Christians and trying to find a Bible-based local church. But we can't wait to get baptized through immersion. Now, what mm-hmm. kind of weight and what validity does the Catholic Church have? Because I, I spoke to a friend one time, and he I asked him, do you feel like you need to get baptized again? And this time, um, as an adult... Um, um, calling on the name of Jesus Christ and, and professing Jesus Christ as an adult, not as a, a helpless child being sprinkled. Um, and he said, no, I, I've been baptized. He goes, there's no reason to be baptized. Yeah. And, uh, and I could see that the conversation was not being fruitful, and I, I try to avoid the stupid arguments. But yeah, what kind of weight does, it, does a Catholic... Thank you, sir. What weight does it hold... Catholic baptism. I don't think it carries much of any. I need to hear from yeah. you, sir. Yeah, Ron, it, it carries no weight at all. It, it, it's it's a coerced baptism. By that, I mean that the infant has no um, um, choice in the matter. Um, that, that infant is not aware 
of of uh, of going through the ceremony. It's not something that they chose for themselves. And as we know, you know, God has no grandchildren. We're all children of God. And that means we've all got to be born again. And so the baptism celebrates the fact that we're born again believers in Jesus Christ. You know, um, um, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, a very religious Jew, uh, uh, Israel's teacher, uh, he said, you of all people shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again. That would have been like Jesus saying to um, um, Nicodemus, you were, you, were, you were circumcised as a child on the eighth day, um, but but now you've got to be circumcised all over again. Um, um, I, I know that it works in reverse. It's kind of an antitype. But the idea here is we've got to make decisions of our own free will about following Jesus. And baptism is a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, we're actually going to a funeral. It's our own funeral, the death of the old you. And then when you come up out of the water, that's symbolic of the resurrection uh, into new life in Jesus Christ. So it's really, really important, Ron. And it's something that we all ought to do and, and that you and your daughter are looking forward to that baptism by immersion. Uh, believe me, that pleases the Lord. Um, churches, and it's not just the Catholic Church that believes in infant baptism, uh, that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture completely. Um, so, so being baptized again is both a necessity out of obedience. It's not necessary to be saved. You're already saved, but it's a necessity to fulfill uh, the obedient requirements of the God of the Lord. He He wants you to make that public declaration. He said, Ron. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But if you declare me before men, I will declare you before my Father. And that's what baptism was. You see, when the Ethiopian eunuch got baptized, Philip gave him the word, answered his questions. He was so excited. Well, here's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? This is something that every Christian ought to be eager to do. And I'm thrilled, Ron, to hear that you and your daughter are looking forward to the baptism by by immersion. And if, in fact, your friend doesn't think he has the need, I would pretty much suggest to you that that's a pretty lukewarm relationship that he has with the Lord. Ron, one other thing I think that's important here for you, um, it's COVID is over. I mean, I mean, there's still people getting COVID. We know that. But but it's time to get back and live your life. So you and your daughter need to find a church. Now, I don't normally say this to people, but you are uh, only a few miles from us. And we're going to be faithful to teach the Word. We've got five services every week, a Wednesday, a Friday, not Wednesday night, Friday night, three services on Sunday. So we're convenient. And believe me, you will be blessed by the people. One other invitation for you, Ron. Uh, we're going to be having a public baptism on Sunday, August the 8th. Uh, it's going to be following our third service, which usually means we're going to get in the water around 3.30. Uh, it'll be, there'll be a lot of food there and a lot of people there. Uh, we're doing it at, a, at, a, at one of the, the men in our church's house. Big, big place, lots of room. And um, um, I would love to have you and your daughter come. Uh, if you want any more information, uh, call our church office after 10 o'clock in the morning, and they'll give you more information, and we can give you directions. Um, uh, 658-8337 is our church number. Good for you, Ron. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Edgar. Can you explain, please, walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh? Um, yeah, I can, Edgar. When you walk in the Spirit, you're pleasing to Jesus. When you're walking in the flesh, you're rebelling against God. It's that simple. I think the best way to explain this is by the behavior. Uh, you can look this up yourself, Edgar. Um, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, tells you what your life looks like when you're walking in the flesh. Um, has all kinds of a list of lifestyles or sins or behaviors um, that if you uh, are, are if, if that's what people see in you, then um, that's flesh. 
And I think this is so important because those two passages, starting in verse 19, then the next one starting in verse 22 of Galatians 5, they help us identify. I know if I get angry, if I get short-tempered, or if I get frustrated, or if I'm impatient with somebody, I know instantly that's flesh. And then I can crucify the flesh. So when I'm walking in the flesh, uh, I'm impatient, um, you know, I have bad thoughts come into my mind all the time, and sometimes I would act out on it. But the point is, we don't need to walk in the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is different. And the identification markers are beautiful. If you're walking in the Spirit, then people are going to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's no self-control in the flesh, but when you're walking in the Spirit, then you can control your mouth, you can control your, your anger, you can control your impulses, and, and that's the difference. And if you walk in the Spirit, you're empowered by the Spirit of God, and God is going to use you to be available to minister to other people. But when you're walking in the flesh, honestly, Edgar, you're, you're not available to be used by God at all. So here's what you do. You take an honest look at your life, day-to-day life, and you say, is my behavior characterized more by that list of ugly fruit, bad fruit that comes from the flesh, or is my life characterized more by the beautiful fruit of the Spirit? And every day, all day long. It's not like we can do the best we can for a while and then we can throw a fit or something. We just need to be walking in the Spirit of God so that we can honor the Lord and be empowered by God so that we can be used effectively by the Lord. And Edgar, this is nothing more than a choice that we make every day. You know, when somebody says something that makes you angry, you have a choice to make. Are you going to respond in anger and sin in that anger, or are you going to respond in the Spirit? And the choice you make will determine who's in control in your life. And I think one of the things as Christians we need to do is seek so to please the Lord that all we want to do is let the good fruit of the Spirit flow from our lives. And one final thought, Edgar, there's no more place that's important to be in the Spirit than in your own home. I think sometimes we're nicer to other people, strangers, than we are to the people in our own home. So if you're married and if you have children, if you really want to know the answer to which characterizes your life, then ask your wife, tell her to be honest with you, don't get angry, don't get frustrated with her. Ask your children, which of these lists describes your dad? Which of these lists describe your husband? And then if you find that it's the wrong list, repent. And then be filled with the Spirit every day and the good fruit coming from the the, the Spirit of God in your life, Edgar, will be a blessing to so many people. What a wonderful question that was, Edgar. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Amos. Can a believer live in continuing sin and still get to heaven? Well, Amos, I can answer your question by going back to Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, where after this ugly list of sins, it says people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It also says that, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So there's no way at all that I'm going to soften that. So a believer who lives in continuing sin, John, the apostle of love, says in 1 John, he says, if you say you love Jesus but continue to sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? So no, if you're living in continuing sin, um, the kingdom of heaven is shut from you unless you repent and change. So don't use eternal security as an excuse to continue to sin. There is no excuse for continuing to sin. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we only have a few minutes left, like a little oh, more than three minutes left in this program, so maybe no calls. 
Uh, Gloria says, why does Jesus have to bear the marks of his crucifixion for eternity? To me, that seems cruel. Uh, Gloria, this is so hard to understand because of the language that I use. But but, but when we get to heaven and we see Jesus, we're going to see those grotesque stars. John describes them as looking as a lamb who had been slain. We're going to see those grotesque star, scars in his hands and feet and on his back. We're going to see that his face was beaten mercilessly. To the, to the point that he, he wasn't recognizable in human form. Um, that's just something that, that we're going to look at. And, and the, 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 the grotesque scars are somehow going to be turned into beauty for us when we realize, you love me that much. You love me that much. And Gloria, those scars will be an eternal memory for us of the height and width and depth and breadth of God's love for us. That's why he's chosen to wear them. You know, I find it um, encouraging that Jesus will be the only handicapped person in heaven. The only one is Jesus. And every time we see those scars, we're going to be overwhelmed with just how much he loved us. So that's what's going to happen Gloria, thank you for the question. I think I've got time for one more question. I don't have one time for one more question. Hey, okay, then I want to thank you for the calls and the questions today. Um, Ron, I hope you and your daughter take advantage of of, uh, the baptism we're having on Sunday, August the 8th. Um, and, And remember, all of you, be in fellowship, be obedient, and the power of the Holy Spirit is yours. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord winning, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.